Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you love us forevermore, that your love never fails, your love never diminishes. And Lord, we praise you for that. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would teach us about you, about confidence in the right things. And so, Lord, speak to our minds and our hearts through worship, through your word, and help us, Lord, to understand who you are and what you desire from our lives. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our amazing, loving Savior. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you or an app downloaded, uh, we have some uh, Bibles in the back of the pew. Feel free to grab one of those. If you do grab one of those, uh, if it's one of the leather-bound editions, you can turn to page 668. That'll be an easy way to get you to the book of Philippians. If you get a paperback version, uh, it's on page 551. Uh, if you're in the paperback. And now, let me say this. If you are a person that does not have a Bible with you, maybe you don't have a Bible at home and you would like one, uh, at the end of the service, I would love for you to take one of those Bibles out of the pews and as you stand up, just tuck that Bible under your arm and walk out the door with it. Uh, We would love for you to have a Bible and so uh, we would be honored if you would consider that our gift to you this morning is to take that Bible home. Now, as you're turning to Philippians chapter 3, Um, Let me tell you a little bit about uh, uh, something about my children. Um, As many of you know, I have an 8-year-old and a 15-month-old. And there will be stories coming down the road of why my uh, age gap between my children is so wide. But um, I love my boys. They're both boys, and they're rumble-tumble boys. They're your typical, you know, they play hard, they they roughhouse, they, they love that lifestyle. They're kind of adrenaline junkies. And the moment I knew this was when Knox was about, oh, he was, he was probably around a year old. Um, he, I just kind of tossed him in the air one day, and he loved it. And so we got in this thing where I would throw him in the air. I actually have a picture that a professional photographer took where I'm in a park, and I'm, I've got my hands up. I threw him in the air, and he's about 10 feet above me. And he's, he's got his arms and his legs out, and he's got this expression of, this is great! He's got this huge smile. I've seriously considered putting it on the screen, but I've learned over the years that some people shudder at that picture. So I decided not to show you that picture this morning. But it's amazing. Declan loves me to throw him in the air too. And some of you are going, oh, you're a horrible father. Look at the risk that you're putting your children under. That's not what this story is about, so get over it. But the, the reason I tell this story this morning is I, I throw them in the air and these children, these two boys are fearless when I do it with them. As a matter of fact, Declan will come up to me and, you know, he's walking now. If you haven't seen him around, you catch a glimpse of him. He's, he's walking borderline running. He's keeping us on our feet right now. But he will walk up to me and he grabs my pants right here and he looks up and he grabs my pants and then he does this. So I pick him up and I'll hold him and if he wants me to throw him, you know, imagine him sitting in my arms. He bounces in my arms and that's his signal to me. Daddy, I want you to take me in the sitting room where we have vaulted ceilings and I want you to chunk me in the air. 
Now, they love this. And they, the weird thing is, is they have total confidence in my ability to chuck them in the air and to catch them. Neither one of my boys in doing this has ever stopped me in the midst of doing it. As a matter of fact, right now Declan gets pretty upset if I throw him in the air for five minutes and I get tired and I put him down. He gets angry at me when I do that. But my question this morning is that confidence that my son's have in my ability to throw them and catch them every single time. Is that confidence properly placed? In other words, do I deserve the confidence that they have in me when I throw them in the air and they enjoy it and they laugh and giggle and I catch them? Do I deserve that? Do I deserve that trust that they have in me? Well, I've never dropped them, so there's that. But isn't it amazing how a child, like a little baby, just places total and complete confidence in the adults that are holding them? If you've ever held a baby, think about that time you've held that baby, and and you could do just about anything, and if we were in that baby's situation, we would grab onto something, right? Right? I, I think of moments, Declan also loves to, for me to pretend like I'm dropping him. I'll hold him and I'll, oh, and he <laughs> giggles and he does this whole thing. But he never once goes, oh my gosh, my dad's about to drop me and grabs on. He doesn't do that. He has total confidence in me. And guys, let's be honest for a minute. I don't think that's well deserved, is it? Because there is a really good chance that one of these days I could accidentally drop him. Because I'm not perfect. None of us are. So my question this morning is, where is your confidence? Who is your confidence placed in? So take your Bibles, because Paul talks about this beautifully this morning. Let's take our Bibles and look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 11. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now I'm going to stop there for just a second. This is like the fifth time that Paul has said rejoice. This is a huge thing. And we'll come back to this in, in future sermons on this, on this uh, book, but We're not going to spend time on it today, but I just wanted to point out, he says yet again, rejoice in the Lord. So further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Chapter, verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they, are, they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. 
But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, we're going to talk about where Paul's confidence in, and he gives us a lot in these 11 verses. So let's break some of this down. Verses 1 and 2, I just want to just take a, a quick glimpse of it real quick. He says to rejoice, and again, we're going to come back to this idea in a later message, but the idea here is the rejoicing gives us a firm foundation <clears throat> to our faith. Look at what he says in verse 2, or middle of verse 1. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, saying rejoice in the Lord. And it is a, it is a safeguard for you. He says, your rejoicing in the Lord will guard your hearts. It is a safeguard for you to rejoice in Him. And again, we'll come back to this idea, but I do want to bring a little bit of light to this and may, uh, allow you to notice this for a moment. Then in verse 2, he warns of the dogs, the evildoers. Uh, and basically, all I want to say about this, because again, we're going to come to this in a later message, what I want to say about this is almost every New Testament book, there's only two or three New Testament books that do not warn us about this, but almost every New Testament book warns us against false teachers, against false ideas. And once again, Paul is warning the Philippians here against those that are teaching false beliefs. Um, and so uh, just to hit a point on this, pay attention to what you're listening to. Pay attention to what you believe because belief is important. Uh, I used the illustration a few weeks ago that if someone walked up to you and said that they knew Pastor Chad at First Southern uh, and you said, oh yeah, and they started talking about some six foot seven guy with long blonde hair, you know that they're not talking about me. And that's what we do sometimes when we don't have a firm belief system when we don't read our word and we don't understand the things of God, we think we're worshiping God when in reality we may not be worshiping Him at all. We may be worshiping something that we've made up in our minds that, is, that we're comfortable with. But Paul says, watch out. Belief is important. Understand what you need to be believing. Now look with me in verses 3 through 6 because this is where we're going to spend some of our time this morning. Verse 3 says this, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, yet again, in the book of Philippians, Paul is giving us signs, evidences 
of the true followers of Christ. He is telling us yet again in the book of Philippians, here's what a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, actually looks like. And so I want to point out just a few things. The first thing he says in verse 3, it is us who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit. We who serve God by His Spirit. This word serve right here in Philippians 3.3 is only used about 20 times in the New Testament. And it's used every single time. It is referring to a service that we do out of our worship of God. And so the idea here is that worshiping God is not about showing up on Sunday morning and singing songs with the choir and orchestra and and hearing a message and then walking away. True worship is a lifestyle. And we see that so evidently here in Philippians 3.3, but we also see it in multiple places. I think one of the most obvious is Romans 12.2, where it talks about worship being a lifestyle that we live. And so when we look for those who truly follow Christ, or you're examining your own life and trying to see whether or not your life with Christ is where it should be, one of the things that we need to ask ourselves is, where am I serving? How am I serving the kingdom of my Savior? And so that's the first thing that I want to point out. The second thing we also find in verse 3, It's about midway through, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. I find it interesting, it's not a coincidence, that the last worship song that we sang corporately together talked about boasting in Christ, that my boasting will be in Jesus, my Savior. Are we ashamed of our Savior? Or are we boasting of His amazing love for us? I think that's a question that we all ask because I'd go out on a limb and say that many people may say, oh yeah, I boast about Jesus, but I think that we all probably have one either group of people or maybe one person that we're a little more shy about being proud of our Savior in front of. You know, there's that group of people or that, there's that person that sometimes you, you feel the nudging of the Spirit to talk and boast about Him and you shy away from it for one reason or another. And believe me, God knows that talking about Him and boasting about Him many times is not easy. That's why the Bible talks about persecution so often. But the fact of the matter is, is our boasting should not be in ourselves or our own glory or ability or talents or intellect or, or whatever it may be. Maybe good looks in my case. Um, <laughs> but our true boasting should be in Jesus Christ. Our true boasting should be in what He has blessed us with. If you have an intellect... If you're intelligent or you have a talent or you're good looking, believe me, that is not something you did, is it? It's something God blessed you with. And so whatever we can boast about is truly actually a boasting that we should point to God. Because all of those things come from His goodness and His grace. And so boasting, we we serve God, we boast in Him, and then look at how this particular passage ends. Verse 3, for, is who the, 
For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. My sinful boys put confidence in me, a fleshly person. But is that what this is saying? No. This is warning us against things that we would put confidence in over Jesus Christ. And Paul actually maps out in the next several verses from verses 4 through 6, he maps out several areas where we as humans tend to put confidence in our life rather than putting confidence in Jesus. And so let's look at a few of these. Look with me in verse 4. Paul's about to brag about who he is. And you go, why would he brag? Why is he so proud of this? He's making a point, And we need to pay attention to the point that he's making. So look with me in verse 4. He's just said, I will put no confidence in the flesh. And look at how he follows that statement. Verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And let's go through these reasons one by one. Middle of verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, Paul is saying, I am not going to place confidence in rituals for my salvation. But isn't that what many churches do? Your salvation is based on something you do, a ritual you do in the church? Believe me, guys, baptism is commanded by Jesus Christ, but baptism does not save us. It is a life-changing, hope-filled relationship with Jesus Christ that saves us. But we all too many times place our confidence in the rituals. Oh, well, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I was baptized, blah, blah, blah. Baptism is important, but it does not save us. Taking the Lord's Supper is important, but it doesn't save us. Those rituals have importance in God's church, but those rituals are symbols of the truth of Jesus, the true relationship that we are called to have with our Savior Jesus. And so Paul is saying, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I could place confidence in that, but I don't. Because my circumcision, my baptism, my taking the Lord's Supper, all those many things are great, but they're not what save me. They're not what brings me to salvation. It is Jesus Christ that brings me to salvation. Look at what he says next. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel. Back then... Many people of the Jewish faith believed that they were going to go to heaven simply because they were a blood ancestor of Abraham. That's where they placed their confidence. But the fact of the matter is, is it doesn't matter what your lineage is. It doesn't matter what citizenship you have. The truth is, is that none of that matters on the spiritual level. Again, go back to, it's that relationship with Jesus that saves us. We're blessed to be citizens of the United States of America, and believe me, I've spoken about it a little bit over the last month or so. We are blessed, but our citizenship in this country has no effect, good or bad, on our relationship with Jesus. And if this country 
turned its back on me as a follower of Christ, I would not place my confidence in my citizenship. I would place my confidence in Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is great, and there's nothing wrong with it. But it's not where our confidence should be placed. Look at what else he says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, tribe of Benjamin, he's talking about his family lineage. And I have many preachers in my lineage on my dad's side. If you go back and trace uh, my ancestry back many, many generations, I have one uh, great, great, great dish grandfather who was a president of a Christian college. Um, I have several uh, ancestors who are uh, preachers or were preachers back when they were alive. But also I have a family lineage that, of a man who was a preacher, and while he preached, his children and wife went and pickpocketed all the people listening. That explains a lot about me, doesn't it? No, I'm just kidding. But the fact is, is I have a lot of people that I know, including family members, who place their confidence in their salvation on the fact that, well, my father went to this church and my grandfather went to this church and my great-great-grandfather was a preacher, so I must be saved. But is that how we're saved? No. It doesn't matter whether your father or grandfather or great-grandfather knew Jesus What matters is if you know Jesus as your Savior. You can't inherit Jesus Christ. It comes personally to each and every one of us. Look at what else he says. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's talking about tradition here. And tradition is amazing and it's wonderful. But there are many times in God's word where the Israelites' traditions became what they worshipped. And our traditions are great. This church has been around over 50 years. And we have a heritage and we have a tradition. And it's wonderful that we do. But the moment that we worship the tradition over Jesus Christ, we've just fallen into idolatry. And I'm not saying that we do that, but I'm saying that we always have to be cautious to not place our confidence in the traditions. They're important, and they add so much value to the life of a church and the life of an individual. But the moment that we place those traditions over our relationship with Jesus, we've taken those traditions too far. Look what else he says. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, this right here is the number one misconception about salvation in the United States. It's the idea that if I'm good enough, I can get into heaven. But believe me, there is not a single one of us, and there has never been a single person outside of Jesus himself who was good enough to get themselves into heaven. We cannot give enough. We cannot do good enough works. We cannot be generous enough with our time and our resources to get ourselves into heaven. Because the comparison of how good you are is not comparison between you and the person sitting next to you in the pew. 
The comparison about how good you are is how good you are compared to the perfect God the Father. And we will always fall short when compared to perfection, won't we? The fact is, is our works cannot get us salvation. It's not what we do, it's who we know. Jesus Christ, His righteousness, His good works imputed on us is what gets us into heaven. And so the fact is, is without Christ, without knowing Him, we can't do enough to get there. We have to have the good works of Jesus in order to receive heaven. One more. Verse 6. As for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You see, our desire and our passion to pursue God is a great thing. But if our passion to pursue God is not based on knowing Jesus, if it's based on something else, or it's based on a Jesus that the Bible doesn't describe, that zeal, that passion is useless. It's without merit. Passion without a relationship with Jesus is completely useless. You see, this is not about knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. We can be as passionate as we want, but if our passion is directed in a different direction than Jesus calls us to, then that passion is not godly. And so Paul points out he was zealous, he was passionate, and in that passion, misdirected, he was persecuting the church. Was his passion wrong? Yes. So again, come back to the idea that we talked just briefly on earlier. Belief falls into this. We need to understand who God is and what He calls us to do and who He calls us to be. And so passion is great, but that passion has to be directed by knowing Jesus and who Jesus is. So, what's the point in all this? What's the, the, the purpose of talking about these ideas of putting no confidence in the flesh? Well, I've got this statement, this big idea that I want you to walk away from this morning, and it's this statement right here. Confidence in Christ is key, the key to Christ's kingdom. Confidence in Christ is the key to Christ's kingdom. You see, it's confidence in knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior that gives us the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Without that confidence, if we put confidence in anything else other than knowing Jesus Christ, our confidence is in the wrong place. If it's in rituals, if it's in tradition, if it's in citizenship, if it's in family lineage or doing good works, our confidence will fail us. But when we put confidence in Christ, we receive the kingdom of God. We become part of Christ's kingdom. And that's the whole point. That's the purpose here, is to understand that there's nothing more important than knowing Christ and placing our confidence in Him over everything else. So, 
let me look at a few things. Look with me now at the next verse, verse 7. Verse 7. And it says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now remember, he just talked about all of these confidences that he had. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, of the kingdom of Israel. He, he was zealous and he was a Pharisee and he had all these things working for him. And what does he have to say about all of those things in verse 7? Whatever were gains, all of those things that I listed just now, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He didn't care about being an Israelite. He didn't care about being of the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't care about the fact that he had been a Pharisee. He didn't care about any of those things. He only cared about Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He makes a strong argument here to say this is what matters. Everything else in the NIV version is translated, everything else is garbage. Now, let me stop here for just a second. This phrase in the, the original language that this was written in, this phrase is only used one time in the entire New Testament, and it's right here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. And the purpose was to be a shock statement to the people. He actually made, Paul makes kind of an offensive statement. He's not saying garbage. He's saying refuse, like like what goes in our toilets. He is basically saying, everything that I have in my life is poop compared to Jesus Christ. And the statement that he makes here was meant to shock the Philippians. It was meant to make us as followers of Christ go, okay, wait, why would Paul use such strong language here why would he want to almost slap me across the face to get my attention? Because Paul wants us to understand that this is one of the most important aspects of our faith, if not the most important aspect of our faith. And what is it? It's knowing Jesus Christ. He's actually pointing to two other passages. He's pointing to Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus makes it clear that there is nothing more important than him. Then he's also pointing to John 17, 3. And John 17, 3 says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
And the no verb there is to know someone personally, to have a knowledge of them and have your life affected by that knowledge. So let me wrap this up for a minute. Why do we need to have confidence in knowing Jesus? Well, first off, it makes it clear in verse verse 9 that we can't get to heaven on our own righteousness. We need Jesus' righteousness. And I've already talked about this, but verse 9, Paul spells it out black and white. Then, how do we need to know Him? We need to know Him by pursuing Him and who He was. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, the Son of God, falsely accused, living a life of perfection, never committing a sin, and yet still being accused and still being sentenced to a death that He did not deserve. And that death was the instrument by which we are forgiven and we're saved. And then after dying on a cross on the third day, he rose from the grave and ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's where we place our confidence. That's where we play the role of a child in the arms of our Father. And the Father's saying, I'm going to throw you in the air and you're going to love it. So just trust me. That's where our confidence is placed. So next time you see an infant being held in the arms of its mother or father or anyone, and you look at how they just lay in, relax, and they place all the confidence in the world in knowing that that adult will not drop them, remember that that is an illustration to us about placing that much confidence in God our Father. Where is your confidence? Who is your confidence placed in? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And God, we thank you that we can place our confidence in you. We thank you that you are truly trustworthy. That it doesn't matter what we think is going to happen. We can trust completely in the promises that you have given And Lord, our prayer this morning is that we would learn to not put our confidence in the flesh, but we would learn to place our confidence and our boasting in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you so much for sending your Son to die on a cross to save us from our sins. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to place true confidence in him. We thank you, we praise you, and we lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to now move into a time in our service where you can respond. Um, And maybe today you need to spend some time praying and asking God to give you the strength to place that confidence in Him. So if you need to spend time in prayer, uh, we invite you. The altar is open. You can come, you can kneel and pray and spend that time with your Savior. But maybe some of you in here have never placed your confidence in Jesus. Maybe you're in here saying, maybe that's a step I need to take. And we would love to talk to you about that if you've got questions about what faith and confidence in Christ looks like and and how it changes your life. Josh, Pastor Josh and I will be up here at the front uh, on this front pew and we would love the opportunity to talk to you about that. So if you'd like to talk to us, uh, just come up as we sing um, and take advantage of that opportunity. So let's all stand and let's worship.